A little over a decade ago, a song came out from Casting Crowns by the name of A City on a Hill. If you recognize that title, it draws from the image, the parable that Jesus tells on the Sermon on a Mount. He says that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. What happens there is visible to everyone. When the city does well, other people see it. When the city does not do well, other people see it. And that's exactly what happens in the song. The lyrics go something like this. Did you hear of the city on the hill? Said one old man to the other. It once shined bright, and it would be shining still. But they all started turning on each other. You see, the poets thought the dancers were shallow, and the soldiers thought the poets were weak. The elders saw the young ones as foolish, and the rich man never heard the poor man speak. The result was that one by one they ran away, with their made-up minds to leave it all behind, and the light began to fade on the city on the hill. Each one thought that they knew better, but they were different by design. Instead of standing strong together, they let their differences divide. As they looked inwardly in this song at their own capacities, and as they looked at the people around them and their capacities, they developed a sense of superiority against one another. They said, I'm able to do this without that person. I don't need them for whatever's going on. What I'm doing is more important than what the other person is doing. As their pride grew and as they began to disdain each other until at last they gave it all up and walked away. But the song continues, little did they know, each one of them had something unique to offer. It was the rhythm of the dancers that gave the poet's life. It was the spirit of the poet that gave the soldier his strength to fight. It was the fire of the young ones. It was the wisdom of the old. It was the story of the poor man that needed to be told. Each person had a profound effect on the other. Their capacity together was greater than it was on their own. And when they left, that city, which should have been a beacon of light, and hope to all who saw it faded into obscurity. Church, their unity faltered. When their unity faltered, they were no longer able to live out the purpose they were designed for. The passage we're going to look at today says something very similar for us. We have been called by God, and we live out that calling with a holy unity. And we do it best when we live out our lives together. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The first three chapters of Ephesians are an a, uh, in-depth look, an in-depth study of what God has done in our history. Chapter 4 starts a transition where Paul says, this is how we ought to respond to that. And in this beginning part of the chapter, he says, we are better together because of our calling. The first thing that he said in verse 1 was, I urge you, therefore, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay, there's a calling that God has placed in our lives. What does this calling look like? Throughout the entire book up until this point, Paul was making an argument and a case. Paul said, in each and every one of our lives, we have gone astray from God. One way this looks like is we've missed the mark with regards to how God called us to live. Instead of partnering with him to uh, make the world a beautiful place, we let go of our calling and instead decided to serve ourselves. Paul said, we transgressed, we overstepped the boundaries which God set up of how we were not supposed to live. God said, this is your healthiest relation. Don't do this thing. And we overstepped that boundary. The result was there was a separation of our souls from the source of life. God is the source of all life. And by overstepping these boundaries, by missing the mark, we disconnected ourselves from the source of that life, and we were left without life. Paul said we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. If you were to take that speaker right there and unplug it from the wall, it has no power on its own. It relies on energy, on electricity, that it cannot produce on its own. The electricity comes from the building, which comes from the power plant, which comes from somewhere else. I didn't trace it that far back. On its own, the speaker can do nothing. On our own, disconnected from the source of life, we are without life. We are dead. This is where God's calling comes in. First and foremost, God calls us to himself. Paul did say, uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, while we were in this condition, made us alive together with Christ. By the riches of his mercy, God called us and made us alive together with Christ. 
This is the first part of our calling. God calls us to himself. Although we were disconnected from the source of life, God brings us back to himself. There's an inner whisper that we hear, and we respond in faith and say, yes, Lord, I want to follow. God brings us back to himself, but his calling doesn't stop there. His calling is not merely toward himself, but also he calls us on an adventure with him. There is something that God called us to accomplish with him. When you read the beginning of Scripture, Genesis uh, 1 and 2, God created man in, in his own image and said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to have dominion, to steward the earth well. And our partnership with God now looks a little different. When Christ was leaving, he said, I want you to go and make disciples. You have been called, you've heard this call, but now there are other people who need to hear this call. There are people who live without hope in their lives. There is still a deadness in their souls. I want you to partner with me in bringing this to them. Our calling is both toward God and with God. We live out this calling as we live better together um, with humility. Paul says, I want you to walk in this calling in a worthy way. All right, what does that look like? He says in verses two and three, do it with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. All right, the first thing he says, humility. Humility is this idea that things don't always have to be about us. It is a mindset, literally, uh, to think lowly. We don't have to be the center of attention all the time. When we are working on building a community, when we're working on living better together in our calling together, not everything can be about us. Sometimes it has to be about the people next to us. Sometimes we have to be willing to say, I want to focus on what you need right now. We can take care of me later. Sometimes humility looks like focusing on people uh, who are outside of our uh, groups, outside of our uh, church. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people just down the street. I was counting as we drove up uh, Ridge Road this morning as we turned on uh, Memphis, there's over half a dozen side streets on Ridge. When we took 66, uh, there's another half dozen streets. If you go down that street that way, there's another dozen side streets and roads with houses and people in those houses, people who need to hear something of the hope of Jesus Christ. Sometimes humility means we focus on them for a moment, before we focus on ourselves. We are better together when we live out our calling with gentleness. Gentleness is not equated with weakness. Gentleness has a strength behind it that also has a restraint. There is a strength and a capacity, 
and also the ability to hold back on that. Gentleness is a quality that does not assert or dominate and is not touchy, it is not resentful, and it is not retaliatory. It does not get even with other people. Throughout scriptures, especially in the Proverbs, we hear uh, the benefits of gentleness. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle tongue is a healing tree that brings life. Gentleness is a quality that when we exhibit it towards each other, it brings a deeper sense of unity. It allows us to live our calling out with each other. Without gentleness, we begin to be annoyed with the littlest things that grow into the bigger things. We let those little things separate us to the point we cannot do life together. If we want to live life together, we have to do it with a sense of gentleness. We are better together when we live our calling with patience. The Greek word literally means great and suffering. Long suffering is an older way of being able to say this. And in its essence, it means a person with patience is able to endure hardship, endure struggle, endure whatever is going on over a long time. Most people can endure anything for a moment. It takes an incredible amount of patience to endure something for a long time. The Christian walk, the calling that we have, is not a temporary moment, but it begins in a lifetime struggle. In order to keep it over that lifetime, we have to be able to endure something. Sometimes it's for a moment, and sometimes for, it's for a long moment. But with patience, we are able to endure Paul also says, we're better together when we hold one another up in love. Uh, it says, bearing with one another in love. But this idea is literally to hold someone up. I don't know if you've had to hold somebody up before. Uh, maybe a baby, a little bit easier. You can manage it, swap arms every once in a while. You get to the age of seven, eight, a little bit harder to hold people up. You get to 20, 25, it's like, okay, dude, what are we trying to do? I, I can't, it's not going to work, okay? There are moments when we live life together, when we live out our calling in Christ together, that we have to hold one another up. There are moments where the person next to us isn't doing well. They're struggling. They're going through something. Maybe we're aware of it and maybe we're not. Uh, we Paul is saying if we want to do life together, we have to be willing to hold that person up in that moment. We don't do it begrudgingly. We don't do it resentfully. Paul says we do it out of a heart of love. Because there are times also where we need to be held up by the people around us. There are times where we need to rely on the strength of others to get through what we're going through. If we have a culture that says we will hold each other up in the midst of what we need, we will hold each other up not begrudgingly, not resentfully, but in love. 
and we'll be, able, we'll be able to hold each other up for longer periods of time, and we can also hope that the people around us will hold us up. If we hold people up begrudgingly or if we refuse to hold people up in their moments of struggle, we will not create the kind of culture that allows us to do life together. Paul also says, we are better together when we strive for unity. It says, being, a, uh, being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity doesn't mean we agree at every single point at exactly the same way. There is a little bit of room for difference. But Paul is saying, and we'll get to what it looks like in a moment, at the core, where it matters most, there has to be a sense of unity in our church. When there's a sense of unity, peace and tranquility comes from that. Maybe you've been in a situation before where uh, there was no unity. People were at each other's throats. People were disagreeing again and again and again and just enjoyed disagreeing with each other. There is no peace in that kind of situation. And without peace, we are not able to live into our fullest potential. We are not able to live into our calling, and we're not able to live out our calling, much less being able to do so with the people around us. Verses 1 to 3 look one way, and verses 4 to 6 specifically tell us what this unity looks like. God sets the precedence for unity. Paul says, uh, there is one Lord, uh, I'm sorry, there is one body and one spirit. just as you were called in the one hope that belongs to your call. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father, one God and Father and Lord of all, who is above all, who is through all, and who is in all. One body means that we are not split into different factions. Um, we're going to be studying the book of Corinthians in a little bit, and one of the issues that they ran into in their church was there were different groups that were starting to splinter within each other. Uh, one person followed one preacher. One person followed another preacher. One person followed a third preacher. And there were groups, and because of these groups, they were starting to have infighting together. It broke unity, and it broke the peace that should have been there. All right. There is one body. We are not one group, we're not one cult, we are one body, the church. And we are held together by one spirit. The call that is placed on our lives is not from different sources. The same call that's on my life is on your life. The same person who called me calls you. We have one source for our unity. We have one source for our calling, 
and that is in the Spirit. This leads to one hope in our calling. This is something that I read from a commentary that I found very helpful. When believers were called to be God's people, they embraced a common hope. All Christians hope for the same end. Formerly hopeless, all Christians have found their hope in their call to be in Christ. The one hope of the Ephesians is not something individual and private, but it is also corporate and public. It is a hope for a world order that is unified and reconciled. A world in which everything is brought together in harmony through that which God has done in Christ. All right. There is one hope that we all aim towards. It is something that we get glimpses of here and there. But it is something that Christ is moving all of history toward. We have one Lord. In the Gospels, Christ said at least once, maybe twice, a person is not able to serve two masters, two lords. Either he will be devoted to one and love the other, or he will despise the one and be devoted to the other. There is one Lord that we follow. We ultimately don't follow people. We don't ultimately follow uh, the culture or the ideas we hear. We have one Lord that we follow. We have one faith. We have one baptism. Uh, these point to a common idea, a common uh, consensus, a common foundation for all believers. Uh, in a little bit, he's going to say, show how there are um, different gifts that are given to each believer. One doesn't make you better than the other. Because it is not about the gift, it's about the foundation. The what faith that we have is the same faith that they had 2,000 years ago. The faith that I have is the same faith you have. The same faith we have is the same faith that is expressed at other churches down the street in other states. Okay. There is a common foundation for it all. That puts us on the same footing. And it's all overseen by one God and Father of all. Some of us have had good experiences with fathers. We can look back and we can say, this was a delightful thing and there's a lot of good things I can emulate and follow. For other of us, when we hear that God is our father, we shrink back because we didn't have a good experience with dads. Or maybe some of us had an experience where there was not a father figure in our lives. Paul calls God Father, mostly because God calls himself Father, but he wants us to picture God in a very different way. As our Father, God meets our needs. God demonstrates humility as our Heavenly Father. We said humility is this idea of having an other-centered focus. 
Scriptures tell us when God saw the predicament we were in, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. God did not say, well, lost cause, let's move on, try something else. God sent his only son. He did not withhold the best that he had, but did everything he could to reconcile us back to himself. This was an other-centered focus. As our Heavenly Father, God demonstrates gentleness. Christ said the very core of God's being, the very core of his own being, was gentleness and lowliness. The posture that he is the most accessible person in the world, the most accessible being in the universe. And he also has a posture that says, I'm not quick to anger. I'm not quick to bring back what happened. I'm not quick to relive the past and rub salt in the wound. God is the most gentle being in the universe. As our Heavenly Father, God God demonstrates long-suffering. Time and time again, God demonstrates himself to be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As our Heavenly Father, God holds us up in love. If you grew up in the church, there's a chance uh, you memorized this verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he should save the world through him. God did not drop us at our most desperate need. God did not let go of us when we were without hope. God gave hope. God made hope for us and upheld us with the utmost love. As our Heavenly Father, God unified us with himself and made peace by breaking down all hostilities and barriers that separated us from himself through the death of his son. Everything that Paul says here that says, when we do life, when we, uh, we live better together, when we live in this kind of way, God demonstrated to us first in his son, Jesus Christ. Everything God has asked us to do in order to live better together He has demonstrated in Christ. We started out by looking at that song uh, from Casting Crowns, and I want to end by looking how that song ends. The song starts out as a parable that shows the effect of disunity in that city on the hill. When they could no longer see the importance of the other people around them, they walked out on each other. But in ending the song, the singer moves away from the parable and turns toward the listener. He sings, one by one, will we walk away with our made-up minds to leave it all behind as the light begins to fade in the city on the hill? Will we look with disdain on each other and walk away? Will we lose sight of the value of our calling toward unity? 
Or will we live out our calling with all humility and gentleness, with long-suffering and patience? Will we as a church hold one another up in love? Will we give our best for unity and peace in the moment? Friends, we're better together when we live out our calling together. We are better together when we stand beside each other and we work together towards a common end. We call this a Better Together Sunday because we invite people uh, to take a step in joining the church. Some of you have uh, been parts of groups and in ministries. Some of you have been doing an incredible job that allows us to do what we do week in and week out. And I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. This church is able to reach people because of your faithfulness to live out the calling together. Some of you I'm going to invite to take a step today. All along the back, we have different life groups uh, to be a part of. One of the easiest steps is to say, I'm going to stick with these people uh, for a time. I'm going to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ together with other people because we grow best. We do life best when we do it together. Some of you are part of a group and you want to take another step. I would encourage you uh, to sign up and uh, see what God might do if you would take a step in faith and join a ministry team. Over the next uh, year, we want to, as a church, uh, be reaching 200 people on a weekly basis. Like I said, there are thousands of people who sit at home every Sunday. They don't have the hope of Jesus Christ. They don't have a hope that things are going to get better. There's an emptiness in their souls that maybe at one point in time you can remember experiencing. We are able to reach them but only if we do it together. And so I would encourage you, take a step of faith today. Learn how you could live your calling out together with the people around you. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are incredibly grateful for the calling that you've placed on our lives. We ask that you would help us live into our calling. We recognize that um, you have placed us in this position and in this time, that we could be with the people around us. I pray that the gentleness, the humility and patience of Christ would be how we treat the people around us. I pray that we would uphold one another in love. I pray that we would strive for unity and peace with each other. And I ask that as a result, we could, as a church, be better together and that Christ would be glorified in us and through us. We ask these through his name. Amen.